My name is Katie, and I'm a deacon here at Incarnation. Um, just a note before I begin, I'm going to be reading some poetry as part of my homily. And um, I just invite you, when I am reading a poem, I just invite you to hear it as the prayer that it was intended by its writer to be. It's intended to be a prayer for herself, but also for all of us. And so when I read one of her Amy Carmichael's poems, I just invite you to enter in to her prayer for herself and for us. So when Liz was asking us to all consider who we try, we have tried to imitate, I had, I'm sure like all of our other preachers, I had a really hard time whittling down my list. Uh, I'm glad I had like a month to think about it. Um, but then the question that I found really helpful to help me zero in on who I ended up preaching on was the question, who has been helpful this year? So this year of the pandemic. And then it became a little easier to answer the question because I um, immediately thought of someone who's had a big impact on my life in terms of challenging and encouraging me, encouraging me to step out beyond my own comfort zones. Um, and that's the missionary, Amy Carmichael. She was one of the great female missionaries of the late 19th and 20th century. She's in there with Lottie Moon, with Mother Teresa, with um, who we've talked about earlier, Lilius Trotter up in Algeria. So she's up there with these great women of the 19th and 20th centuries who were set free by the church of their time to go really to the outermost parts of the earth in order to be a missionary. And Amy Carmichael had a call to missions from a very young age, and she ended up spending 55 years of her life in India, in southern India, with no furloughs. So no home leave at all. I mean, she really packed up her coffin and went. And um, part of the reason I trust Amy Carmichael's wisdom about life in Christ is in part because her writings are just so honest about just how hard it was to follow Christ in her circumstances. She tells the unvarnished truth about herself, about the people she was called to minister to, about her fellow missionaries. Um, and her time in India, her 55 years, were marked by controversy. She was controversial at her time. She had waves of disappointment and sorrow. She was actually opposed by some of her fellow missionaries. They actually wanted to ship her back to England. Um, because of her zeal for evangelism, she was always pushing her fellow missionaries far beyond what they were comfortable with and out of their compounds. She had a real cultural sensitivity in her approach to missions that was really groundbreaking at the time that we think about that now as something that's just the way we approach missions, but it wasn't at her time. And she was pushing people beyond approaches that they had been doing for centuries, right? And then finally, she wrote really openly about her own setbacks, her own failures, the failures of her other co-missionaries. And she wrote this in books, right? Books that would go back. And this was the face of missions in India. And so she didn't have a lot of friends among fellow missionaries. And she was, she had a hard go of it with the host community that she with as, as well. She was really persistent about her attempts to convert Hindus to Christianity, definitely made her unpopular. And her main focus of mission was taking in girls who were destined for temple prostitution, right? So she was addressing child slavery before we called it child slavery. And then on top of all that, she suffered from lifelong separation from her family in England. She suffered from the death of colleagues and children that were given into her care. 
And then to top it all off, she was bedridden, right? She spent the last 20 years of her life in one room, and she led her community out of that room and continued to write and to be and to flourish in Christ. And so for me, I just take so much heart from this woman who continued to flourish in Christ despite her circumstances. And so what she leaves us as her legacy is she wrote more than 40 books. She wrote more than 500 poems and songs. She left us journals and letters. And in them, she gives us this beautiful picture of a person who is completely determined to be devoted to God. And not only that, this wasn't like grinding grit your teeth. She was genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit and with the joy of the Lord. From what we can tell, she emanated the joy of the Lord to all who encountered her, despite this fact that she was experiencing feelings of disappointment and frustration. Despite all of that, she emanated joy to all who encountered her. But what I think I've really learned from her writings is what to pray, right? We can pray a whole lot of things, but I think Amy gives us really good guidance about what to pray. She gives us excellent guidance on how it is that we're supposed to discern God's will. And then she teaches us exactly how to be bold and courageous, despite opposition, despite our own disappointment in ourselves and others, and when we're feeling confused about whether we're on the right path. And as I was rereading some of her books and writings this last month, um, I think she emphasizes four attitudes that she thinks are completely necessary if you're going to have any sort of discernment process where you seek God's will. And I've returned to these principles over and over again when I have been at moments of decision and discernment like I've been this year. So the first thing that Amy would say which I think the book of Proverbs also highlights for us, is the principle of openness. As Cheryl read in Proverbs so nicely, I'm going to read this from the message translation. It says this, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Instead, listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go. And trust that he's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Instead, run to God. Or as Amy Carmichael suggests, she says that you should approach any decision with an open heart and an open mind. Don't assume that you know where God's leading you. Don't assume that you know where the destination of your journey is. Instead, pray that God will enable you to be detached, so to separate yourself from any particular path. And instead, concentrate your prayers on relaxing into the knowledge that God will guide you onto the right path. So don't get hung up on what the path is. Instead, concentrate on asking God to guide you onto the right path. Because what she would say is that openness is giving God access, right? It's opening yourself. And it's opening God. It's opening your work, your relationships, all your resources, so that God can bear your burdens with you, right? So open yourself up, she says, and that's the path to allowing God to direct you. Or as she says this in her poem, Love Traveling, I invite you to pray this with me. Love traveling in the greatness of his strength found me alone 
wearied a little by the journey's length, though I had known all the way long many a kindly air and flowers had blossomed for me everywhere. And yet God, love found me fearful and he stayed. Love stayed by me. Let not thy heart be troubled or dismayed, my child, he said. Slipped then from me all troubles, all alarms, for love had gathered me into his arms. For Amy Carmichael, God's love was the foundation of openness to God's will. And only trust in God's loving care allowed her to be unburdened from all of her fears and her own desires so that she could follow God instead. Amy believed that before we can begin to even ask for God's guidance, we have to first be held securely in God's love. And she would say that if you haven't experienced God's love, then you can't truly ask for his guidance yet. And so she would invite you to spend time just resting in God's love for you and then ask the question, where are you leading me, Lord? But Amy would also say that there's lots of distractions in our lives and that serving God should be the ultimate goal of your life. And so whenever you're considering an opportunity or an experience or a relationship, she says that you should only choose the things that will lead us towards God. Our lives are filled with so many good things, right? Especially now, in this place, in this time, in this country, our lives are filled with so many good things. And so for some of us, it's actually a harder task to sift through the good things, right? to discern which things are only a means to the end and which things will lead us away from God. And what Amy would say is that the good things oftentimes have to be rejected if they're going to ultimately deter you from God, from union with God. So she says, you know, don't assume just because something is a good thing that it is the right thing. Instead, you have to lift it up to God and allow him to sift through your priorities. Or as Paul said this morning in Romans 12, 1, present your bodies, your whole self, as a sacrifice, alive and holy and pleasing to God. Don't be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind in order, right? So why do we do all of that? So that you might be able to test and approve what the will of God is, right? So that you might know what is good and pleasing and perfect, right? So you open yourself up, you present yourself to God and allow him to show you what is the good and the perfect. And in this, Amy was pretty ruthless. Like I, when I read her writings, I think, oh my gosh, I would not have hacked it in her community because <laughs> she was really ruthless with herself and with others. She records how almost every day she would ask members of her community whenever they would do their daily tasks, whether it was feeding members of their community, making beds, leading worship, she would say, how, how are you doing that in such a way that it's leading others to God? I mean, I, I really don't want to think about that question when I'm washing dishes or taking care of my kids. I would prefer people not probe too deeply into my spirit with which I do these things. 
And then she has these eight principles that her community lived by. And one of them is to ask God to mark his cross on your natural choices, right? To put his cross between you and the things that you would naturally want. And then she also asks everyone who would come join her community, and this is her words, to unreservedly renounce everything that humans generally love. <laughs> right? I'm like, wow, I just don't think I would have signed up for this. And to be marked by a desire for what the Lord Jesus Christ loved instead. Right? So if you come to join me, be prepared to renounce all the things that human beings generally love. And so... Because that was her mark of the Christian faith that she considered to be a hallmark of following Christ, she had no problem asking members of her community to forego marriage, to decline furloughs, to give up educational opportunities, because she saw all of those things as secondary to the life of the community and the spread of the gospel. And so when she was reflecting on this call to self-sacrifice for herself, but also for her community, she wrote this poem. It's called The Searcher of Spirits. Searcher of spirits, try thou my reins and heart. Cleanse thou my inward part. Turn, overturn, and turn. Wood, hay, and stubble sea. Now spread out before thee. Burn, burn. Worker in gardens, Dig round my hidden root. Let branch, leaf, bud, and fruit respond in quickened life. Seek out the canker there. Cut out and do not spare thy knife. Savior of sinners, out of the depth I cry. Perfect me or I die. Perfect me, patient one. In thy revealing light I stand confessed, outright undone. O oh, to be holy, thou wilt not say me nay, who movest me to pray, enable to endure. Spiritual cleansing fire, fulfill my heart's desire, make pure. Amen. And then Amy would say, once you've done the work of renouncing your natural desires and placing them before God, she says, you have to be courageous. Because she says that God's call is always a call to die to yourself and is probably going to lead you to something difficult, challenging, or risky. And she would say that if your life isn't difficult, challenging, or risky, she would ask the question, how closely are you really following Christ? And so we have this record of her writing letters to people who wanted to come join her mission, right? Who wanted to become brand new missionaries. And there was this one I stumbled on in particular and she wrote back to this young man and she said, do you want a chance to die? And needless to say, he didn't come. <laughs> you know, so not a great recruiter, right? She didn't oversell herself. But I think she did keep the main thing the main thing, right? She's like, if you don't want to come here and serve God with all that you have, then don't bother, right? If you're not willing to give up everything, then don't come because that's what God's call is. 
And here I was reminded that Amy has an awful lot in common with the Virgin Mary, right? Because what does Mary say when the angel Gabriel comes to her? She doesn't say all the things that we ponder that she could have said, right? I'm not yet married. What will my community say? Instead, she says, I am a handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me as you have said. And what I find really encouraging about Mary and Amy's lives is how submitted they were to God. They chose to say yes to God's calling. And in that, their ordinary responsibilities of caring for children and taking care of households, which I spend a lot of time doing, right? Those responsibilities all became sacred because they gave them to God. And they cared for children. They fed the people given into their care. They provided spiritual nurture to the best that they could. And then they just gave it over to God. And they trusted that somehow their faithfulness was being honored by God and that he was using it somehow, even though they couldn't even imagine where it was leading, right? I can't imagine Amy would know that 70 years after her death, we would be talking about her or the Virgin Mary. I mean, who could have imagined, right? And yet they were faithful. Yet they were faithful and courageous. And so... Amy, reflecting on this call to be courageous, she wrote one of her best-known prayers. It's the one that you find when you Google Amy Carmichael poems. Um, And it's called Make Me Thy Fuel. And one of the things I find really challenging about this poem, or I love about it, is that she actually wrote this after one of her dearest and longest colleagues in India had just died, right? So this is her reflection in the days and weeks after the death of someone who had been her, her rock um, and had helped her persist through periods of disappointment. And so here's her poem, Make Me Thy Fuel. From prayer that asks that I might be, sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, From silken self, O captain free, thy soldier who would follow thee. From subtle love of softened things, from easy choices, weakenings, not thus our spirits fortified, because not went this way the crucified. From all that dims thy Calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that none can dismay, the hope that no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. And finally, as Amy counseled and lived, she would say this, If you're going to be open, if you're going to have right priorities, if you're going to be courageous, then you need to pray, right? And she would go so far as to say it has to be your primary activity, (laughs) which I love, right? She's like, all that other stuff? Yeah, fit it in, if you can, around prayer, right? So her community had this amazing schedule of regular prayer. 
And she was like, yeah, just fit in that other stuff when you can around prayer instead of the other way around, which I just, I find that so challenging. Because she would say, because you can't possibly hear God's call, right? How can you possibly discern? How can you sift out good things if you don't know what God's voice sounds like? Right? You can't disentangle God's will from your own desires if you're not praying. Or as Romans 12.1 says, if your mind isn't being transformed, right, by the presence of Christ in you, then you can't know what God's will is. You can't know what perfection is if you don't know what God sounds like. And if you can't hear him while you're making a breakfast by yourself with no one else around, you're probably not going to hear him when you have a car accident on Connecticut Avenue, right? Like, and you're trying to figure out how to respond to the person in front of you. So she says, prayer is a training ground, right? And you learn how to pray in the quiet so that you know how to pray when your desires, when your heart's cries are on the line. And so I'm going to close with this. This is her prayer for prayer. She says, think through me, thoughts of God. My father, quiet me. Till in thy holy presence hushed, I think thy thoughts with thee. Think through me, thoughts of God, that always, everywhere, the stream that through my being flows may homeward pass in prayer. Think through me, thoughts of God, and let my own thoughts be lost like the sand pools on the shore of the eternal sea. And so I think my prayer for myself and all of us is that we, in this season where we're coming out of a pandemic, when we're coming out of a season of quiet and hush, back into a world of noisiness and demands, my prayer is that we would learn to imitate the openness, the rightly ordered priorities, the courage, and the persistent prayer that everyone today that we spoke about imitated, right? So I want us to imitate these qualities of Amy Carmichael and the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Apostle Paul and Jesus Christ, who is our most perfect model as we discern God's loving and perfect will for each of our lives and for this community. Amen.